worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Too often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well Sis podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Dunbar. I am so excited to share with you this bonus episode in honor of Women's History Month. So on this episode, I got a chance to speak to Naya, who is the creator and founder of the House of Brand Therapy. Their mission is to help Black women build on-point brands that get them paid. This is near and dear to me because the stats show that Black women are among the most educated yet are often underpaid or underemployed. Black women are the fastest growing sector of entrepreneurs but receive the least amount of venture capital to fund their ventures. Additionally, due to past experiences and how society has othered us, many of us at some point have suffered from imposter syndrome. According to an article entitled Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome, which was published in the Harvard Business Review, Arthurs Rushika Tolshian and Jodianne Burry state, imposter syndrome took a fairly universal feeling of discomfort, second guessing, and mild anxiety in the workplace and pathologized it, especially for women. As white men progress, their feelings of doubt usually abate as their work and intelligence are valued over time. They're able to find role models who, like them, are rarely, if ever, Do others question their competence, contributions, or leadership style? Women experience the opposite. They go on to say that even if women demonstrate strength, ambition, and resilience, our daily battles with microaggressions, especially expectations and assumptions formed by stereotypes and racism, often push us down. Imposter syndrome as a concept fails to capture this dynamic and puts the onus on women to deal with the effects. For women of color, self-doubt and the feeling that we don't belong in corporate workplaces can be even more pronounced, not because women of color have an innate deficiency, but because the intersection of our race and gender often places us in a precarious position at work. Many of us across the world are implicitly, if not explicitly, told we do not belong in white and male-dominated workplaces. Half of the women of color surveyed by working mother media plan to leave their jobs in the next two years, citing feelings of marginalization or disillusionment, which is consistent with our experiences. Exclusion that exacerbates self-doubt was a key reason for each of our transitions from corporate workplaces to entrepreneurship. They go on to say that when employees from marginalized backgrounds try to hold themselves up to a standard that no one like them has met, the pressure to excel can become too much to bear. The once engaged Latina woman suddenly becomes quiet in meetings. The Indian woman who was a sure shot for promotion gets vague feedback about lacking leadership presence. The trans woman who always spoke up doesn't anymore because her manager makes trans insensitive remarks. 
the Black woman whose questions once helped create better products for the organization doesn't feel safe contributing feedback after she's told she's not a team player. For women of color, universal feelings of doubt become magnified by chronic battles with systemic bias and racism. I have linked the um, entire article in the show notes below, but it was really, really insightful. And as I've delved deeper into my own wellness journey, I've learned that a large part of my own wellness is freedom. Freedom to be myself, freedom to control my time, to control my finances, to define success on my own terms, and the ability to create a life that truly resonates with who I am. This episode touches on how Naya created a life that she loves, uh, on imposter syndrome and on vulnerability. She also shares information on her accelerator, who it's for and what you'll gain from it, and how to apply to receive a scholarship to participate. In honor of Women's History Month, the House of Brand Therapy is providing scholarships to Black women deciding to take their skills and experiences to form a profitable consultancy firm. I had a great time speaking with Naya, and you'll gain a lot from this conversation. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. <laughs> Thanks again for joining. I'm so, so glad you're here. Be well, sis. So today I have Naya the Creative with us. She is the founder and CEO of House of Brand Therapy, and she has something really special um, coming down the pipeline. So I'm so happy to have her with us so she can share what she has. How are you, Naya? I'm well. How are you? I am good. I am good. I am so grateful that you are here talking to us. I know it is late where you're at. So thank you for your time. It's all good. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. Um, so we had an IG live last week and it was really good. And I learned some things about you that I think are really worth sharing. So you have been just about well, three continents at least that I know of, right? I think that's <laughs> incredible. So you've had quite the entrepreneurial and just career journey. And I'd love if you could share that with us. Sure. So yeah, as you know, at this moment, I am in the UK. I am in London, um, where I have lived before. So this is not my first time living in the UK. And as you can tell by my accent, I did not grow up here. <laughs> um, I grew up on the East Coast uh, in the U.S. and I'm, you know, a Jersey girl, New York girl. And um, I recently lived in Thailand. Actually, up until about 10 days ago, I was living in Thailand. And that was a trip that I was intending to take for a few months. So I thought I was going to go there and just kind of like hide out from winter for a little while. And then the pandemic came and was like, you going to stay here a little longer and a little longer turned into an extra year. So wow. I yeah, was there for about 15 months when I expected I wasn't going to be there for more than, you know, five or six months. Wow. Wow. That is something else. Um, for me, it's kind of scary. How did you feel just knowing that like, all right, so it's the pandemic. This is that in itself is scary. And then now you are way like thousands of miles away from, but you know, like your normal environment. Yeah. So I went to Thailand for that, ex you know, for what was an extended amount of time, because even going somewhere for several months is, you know, it's, you're going to stay there for a while. And um, mm -hmm. it's not a normal, you know, vacation, if you will. And I mm -hmm. wasn't intending to vacation. I was intending to work. I just mm -hmm. wanted to see if I could really be a digital nomad. You mm -hmm. know, I have been working from my laptop for myself for, you know, years. By the time I got there, I was working on, was heading to my fourth year in business. 
but I had never worked, um, really did the digital nomad thing. I was able to work from my laptop, but I wasn't being a nomad. I was working from home in my Brooklyn apartment for years, right? (laughs) So I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't traveling around, but I could go places. So if somebody wanted to go on a trip, a birthday thing, I needed to go see somebody, I could always go because I could bring my office with me but I wasn't living away from everybody that I knew. So I went to go try out you know, that lifestyle and see if I could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when the pandemic happened, it was kind of weird because in Thailand, we were aware of it sooner. Mm-hmm. There were cases there sooner, but there was a lot more screening going on. So I got temperature checked to get into the mall and grocery stores and things like that in you know, maybe February, late January of 2020. Wow. You know, that that hadn't made its way over to the U.S. And it happened very quickly. All of a sudden, one day in March, it was like, whoa, everything's going to shut down. Mm-hmm. And things were shutting down. I was getting reports of things planning to shut down in the U.S. that I hadn't heard anything about things getting shut down in Thailand. So we were still walking around oh. like things were normal. Mm-hmm. We weren't about to head to lockdown. I think maybe all of the commotion around it in the World Health Organization saying things made other countries feel like they had to follow suit. Mm -hmm. But it was like one day everything was fine. And then the next day it was like the pool in your building is going to close and this is going to close and no guests in the lobby and actually lockdowns coming. It was like in the space of a week, we got all these memos in our building. I was like, where's, we were fine, but I guess we're not fine. Yep. Um, So, you know, with the things happening that fast, everybody who I was around who was like an expat um, has to make a decision. Mm-hmm. It was very quick. Like, are you going home or is this home? Mm-hmm. You know, it was that fast. Are you going to catch one of these last flights that, you know, flights are getting canceled. We, a lot of us were hopping around to other countries in Southeast Asia and coming back doing visa runs and stuff like that. And at the time there was no amnesty yet because there was no reason to have amnesty. So people needed to do border runs, myself included. Mm-hmm. My stamp was about to expire. So it was like, are you going to go? Malaysia's closing their borders. Uh, This place is closing their borders. Those people who went to Bali are stuck. Like Mm. it was just, everything happened really fast. So it just felt like because all of the blame is coming, you know, from Asia, I don't want to be the person that goes back to the States. Somebody gets sick and be like, she brought it with her. That's a good point. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to go anywhere if I don't have to. And, you know, we're just going to be locked down for like a month or three or whatever. So like, I'll just stay here. No big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Very big deal. <laughs> wild, wild. I remember when I was sent home uh, for work. I didn't actually, I wasn't even sent home. I just saw the CDC was saying pandemic. I'm like, okay, so I'll be working home for the next few days. I'm thinking maybe two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. <laughs> what yeah. two weeks? The yeah. anniversary of the two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Right now. I saw um, somebody went into their office. Their office still isn't open and their office is still decorated from last year's St. Patrick's Day party. Mm. It's like it was frozen in time. It was just so eerie to see. Yeah. Why Thailand? The food. Mm. If I'm being honest with you, I I only get on planes for like two reasons, food and family. That's about the only reason I fly. So if I'm going somewhere, it's somebody's birthday, it's somebody I miss, it's somebody I need to see, or they got some food, I need to go see what's up right quick. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the number one reason. I think when I was deciding where I wanted to do, you know, test out my real true digital nomad living, um, my criteria was the food, mm-hmm. um, the weather, mm-hmm. the cost of living, 
um, that actually came after safety. I needed to be somewhere where I felt like I'd be safe and ideally a black community. Mm -hmm. So those were the five things I felt like I needed to have. And I went to Northern Thailand where I knew I was going to get all of those things. So I was very happy to go head out there. That brings to the next question. So there is like a a decent sized black community over in Thailand. Yeah. So all over Southeast Asia, not just Southeast Asia, but Asia in general, you'll find these groups that are like, um, you know, groups like Nomadness, Black Packers, um, Brothers and Sisters, where you'll find different groups where, you know, we find each other wherever we go. Mm -hmm. And if you're planning to travel, you might want to look into seeing, you know, on Facebook or other places, if there is a group like that, that exists for the place you're going, Mm -hmm. right? There are all sorts of like black expat groups available in different parts of the world, not just Asia. Mm -hmm. So anytime I'm planning to go somewhere and I want to know like what the black things to do are somewhere, it's a good way, you know, you always try to find those groups and check them out. I had a layover in Hong Kong for like two days. Mm-hmm. And before I got to Hong Kong, I hit up the like, was it Black in Hong Kong or Brothers and Sisters of Hong Kong or whatever the group was to find out what to do. And they sent me to this like Caribbean spot to eat dinner. I walked in there mm-hmm. and I met a bunch of diplomats from some countries and I was just hanging out with them all night because wow. that's what you do, right? When you're, yeah. you're traveling, you meet up with other travelers and the more you have in common with them, you know, the easier it is to just instant friends. You know? Yeah. Wow. So you are able to get up and go in because you are living the digital nomad life, right? Yeah. What do you do and how are you able to create such a, a career? I know a lot of us, like for me in the past few years, I've been hearing more and more about it, um, mm-hmm. but we weren't necessarily taught how to do this um, in traditional sure. schooling, right? Yeah. School doesn't prepare us for, for a damn thing. <laughs> for, for the real world, right. school prepares us how to function in a society that exists already in a machine that exists already. But if you want to be an independent thinker, if you want to, to go against the grain, school is not necessarily going to help you with that, at least yep. not what's in the textbooks. Right. Navigating school and navigating social situations might prepare you for things like this, but no. So I'm a brand therapist. That's my title. And I help people make deep connections with the audiences they're trying to reach. And those audiences could be customers that they're trying to sell to, clients that they're trying to land, um, or even potential employers if you're trying to change careers or get a raise or promotion or something like that. So my job is to help you figure out how to sell sell yourself, but serve a specific audience um, and show how you are the only solution to the problem that they have. So you got to get really good at identifying the problem that they have. You've got to get really good at identifying what you bring to a table. And then you've got to get really comfortable with knowing and communicating that there are things you bring to the table that the people who are looking for those same opportunities as you cannot bring, right? You've got to get really comfortable with knowing how dope you are. You just, you have to get comfortable with that. And you have to get comfortable with saying that all the time. So I bring that out of people. Mm -hmm. So that kind of work really just required me to be on the phone, be on the computer. I didn't have to be in physical locations very often, um, unless I was going to some sort of event or somebody contracted with me to do an event for them, be in a specific location for that, you know, moment. But I had been, you know, I'd had the flexibility to be where I wanted for a very long time anyway. Mm-hmm. So then really figuring out how to turn that into something that was, you know, sustainable and that I could live off of 
you know, required getting honest about what I needed to survive on, you know, and doing the things that I teach other people to do. And a lot of that is assessing what your skills are, knowing mm-hmm. what you're selling, knowing, mm-hmm. you know, how valuable that is to somebody so that you can charge the prices that you need to make so that you can eat, live and get on a plane. Right. Um, and, and that is not hard or complicated, but it's impossible if you don't know what you're doing or if nobody sat with you and taught you, or if you didn't read the right books that they probably didn't give you in school. Um, so there are definitely some techniques and strategies that are simple, but they, they do require some work. Um, briefly interrupting to ask you to share this episode If the Accelerator Scholarship isn't for you, that's fine, but I know there's somebody who needs to know about this. So as you're listening, take a screenshot of your phone and share it to Instagram and tag BeWellSys underscore podcast along with House of Brand Therapy to let them know. And if you aren't on Instagram but would like to share this episode, share by hitting the three dots on your podcast player and selecting the share button. That way you can send it via text, email, or post directly to your social media sites. Again, the link to the application is found below in the episode description. Now let's get back to the episode. Be well, sis. I feel like from a very small age, we, especially as Black women, are told on either outright or like on a subconscious, like covert level that we aren't dope, that we don't belong, that we just aren't enough, right? So mm-hmm. when working with you, you can only do so much, right? Like you only tell us so much. How do you, what are some ways in which somebody can like overcome those things that when they come to to work with you, that they are like ready to like actually do the work? Like they, like they believe for themselves. They just have to want it. If you're coming to me, if you really want to do the work that we're going to do, you just, you have to want it. You have to want to see the change. And a part of you has to believe that you can get the thing that you want. You don't have to know how. You just have to believe. And it doesn't have to be all of you because that's hard because we suffer from imposter syndrome a lot. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to know that you deserve to be, you know, get the the promotion that you want Mm -hmm. um, wholeheartedly. You don't have to be sure that it should have been you. But you do have to believe that you have the skills to do the job well. Mm-hmm. You do have to believe some of this so that what I'm saying to you isn't that foreign. Mm-hmm. Most of the time when people come to me to work with me, I can solve the problem in a matter of minutes, right? And that's not necessarily just to say that I'm, I'm amazing. I am good at my job. But sometimes the problems are just very obvious. You know, it, what we say and how we say things reveal so much about how we think and mm-hmm. what we're dealing with. So sometimes when people come to me and tell me, you know, I've been doing this for years and I've worked with these people and I've been at this company for a long time. And, you know, I know that I have the skills to do this job, but I think I'm just missing a little bit of experience. You know, I've done all of the work that the new job requires, but I just haven't really done it formally. So I'm not ready. You, you just said you did the job and you have all the skills to do the job, but so, you're not ready. Right. Why? So either there is something you're afraid of or somebody told you you weren't ready and you've internalized that. It's it's very clear that you believe you have what it takes to do the job. And it's clear that you believe you've done the work, you've walked in the role. So there is some other reason that you don't have this opportunity in front of you and you have justified it at this point. Whatever it is that people are telling you, whatever people have convinced you, 
you're rolling with it now and you put it into your narrative to tell me that mm-hmm. you're not ready. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to help you. And you've came, you've come and you put a wall up saying, I want it, but I can't have it. So I don't really know how you're gonna help me. That yeah. that tells me enough, right? So there's a, you know, in those few minutes, I'm like, okay, I see what we're doing here. But if I tell you what the answer is and I tell you, boom, somebody put a wall up in front of you and now you feel like you stuck, that doesn't do anything for you. Mm-hmm. Right. What I need to do is get you to tell me what I know. Right. So it's not going to be as convincing if I just sit there and I'm like, okay, yeah, I see your problem. Here's the thing. Here's a little diagnosis. Go work on this. I need to get you to realize it. I need you to change your narrative. So the way that you just really comfortably told me that you weren't ready or that you don't have enough experience, it's not your time, whatever it was that you just said, I need you to come just as comfortably tell me that you are ready, you should have it, and you know by when you must have this thing or what you're going to do if you don't get it. And that is what takes the work and that is what takes the time, right? I have assignments that I give you. I have, you know, questions that I ask. I have programming that I can put you through, but it means nothing if it's not coming out of your mouth. And and that is, that's the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched this TikTok video um, a couple months ago that like stuck with me. It was this older man like he had to maybe in his 80s and he was talking to either his son or his grandson and it starts it starts off in the middle of a conversation and the grandson said well I think he's like nah fuck that don't think you know you have billions of cells that are listening to everything that you say so when you Mm. say something about yourself you have to know it you don't think it you know it because all those cells are listening and that like stuck with me so hard and it's pretty much what you're saying too and it's just Mm -hmm. so wild how people will tell us things or things will happen to us and we just internalize that and when we realize we internalize it right until we're talking to somebody like you and we're like oh shoot why do I feel this way yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, the amazing scholarship that you have for your accelerator. Sure, sure. So I have an accelerator with House of Brand Therapy called From Nine to Five to Consultant. And the accelerator is designed to show you how to take what you've learned and done in your nine to five and create a consulting business out of it. And the goal of this consulting business is to earn you a minimum of $2,000 per client per month. And we're aiming to get you four clients a month. Okay. So you should be rolling with about 8K if you follow the plan of the program. Mm -hmm. Um, The program itself runs for about six to eight weeks, depending on how long you take. But I highly recommend, encourage, and sometimes have to strong arm people into getting that program done in less than eight weeks, because this isn't something you need to drag out. If you believe it's going to take long, it will take long, but it doesn't. I've done the hard work of making this all bite-sized and easy to complete in six weeks. So you should finish it in those six weeks because by the end of it, you'll have your business plan ready. You'll have your pricing strategy ready. You'll have a clear outline of how much money you should be making and what you should be doing with every single dollar that comes into your business. You should have people already interested in working with you. You should have real feedback from potential clients. You should have refined services. I mean, we do all the things that you need to do to get your business started, not the things that you think you need to do to get your business started. And for Women's History Month, so this March, 
until March 31st, I am accepting applications for 100 scholarships that we're planning to give away. This accelerator normally costs about $2,000. We are giving 100 Black women full scholarships to the program. They won't have to pay anything to us. They get full access to the program. They get access to any group work. So they'll come in with a cohort. They'll have, you know, um, other people going alongside them that they can learn from and talk to. They'll have access to me. We'll be doing workshops and all of that in that same six to eight week period that I was talking about earlier, right? So we're not gonna be going past eight weeks, but you should be ready to launch by then. And if you follow the program, you should have a client ready to work with you by the time you hit that eight week mark. Even if you tried to stretch it out a little bit, right? And you went past the six weeks, by the time you get to that eight week mark, there should be somebody who's ready to pay. That's incredible. Um, what type of line of work do people need to be in to do this? There's a specific field? No, there's not a specific field, but it does need to be service-based. So this is not a program for you if you would like to sell products. If you sell a physical product, a digital product, doesn't matter, products, that's not going to work well for this particular accelerator. It does need to be a service-based business. And the reason that we focus on consulting is that before you even get into the accelerator and start doing the, the work to build that business, we do a personality quiz, which only takes a few minutes to help you figure out which method of consulting, which business model makes the most sense for you based on your personality, based on the kinds of information that you like to share. So if you're a person who's gonna be more hands-on and working with somebody and helping them through a process, that's going to be slightly different than if you're a resource of information and you just want people to come and ask you questions and kind of pick your brain and go about doing the thing themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So how you set those businesses up is going to be a little different. How you advertise your services, how you even talk about or explain what your service is is going to be a little different. Um, if you do, if you perform a service that isn't consulting and isn't information-based, like let's say you know, you're a dog walker, there are going to be things that you might be able to pull from this, but it will be more useful if you're a dog walker who has experienced training dogs. And then the kinds of services that you can offer that may help dog owners train their dogs or help dog owners prepare their dogs for travel or things like that. If there's more information that you're sharing beyond just performing an actual, you know, hands-on, hands-off service that takes a short amount of time, it might be challenging for you to get to that $2,000 a month mark per client mm -hmm. if the service that you're offering isn't so valuable that they can't just work with somebody else who charges less. Um, so I will link all of the information down in the show notes, um, your website, and I'll look for the actual direct link to the um, application page to make it awesome, really easy. Awesome. So click down below. Um, but before I wrap up, I always ask two questions. And the first one is, if there is any book at all that you could recommend to the listener, what would it be? And it could be about anything. Ooh about anything. Uh -huh. Okay. Right. I was going to, I was going to quote a business book. Um, you know, right now I'm really feeling, um, I'm really feeling the business books. I'm really feeling the ones that have positioned me to get started. And I guess that's the spirit I'm in right now. So there's a book I love to recommend to people called the pumpkin plan. And it's by Mike Michalowicz. Mm -hmm. And it is all about creating a business that, and it doesn't even have to be business, but it, for in his case, it is a, it's a business that 
people love and love to tell people about and love to talk about. Um, he gave some really great examples in that book and made this all the stories so um, accessible. One of the things I love about this book is that he actually shows you how to exclude people from your business, right? Hmm. So I find that a lot of people, when they're getting started, they want to make their service or their products or whatever for everybody, right? This yeah. what I'm doing is for everybody. I'm making websites and I, I work with everybody and everybody's not going to buy from you. Mm-hmm. And, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't. And if you knew how much money you actually needed to survive or to thrive, mm-hmm. you would know you wouldn't need to market to everybody, right? If somebody is selling um, planners, if they're selling planners and they're like, we've got these awesome planners that help you keep your day organized. And I'm in the market for a planner. I'm like, that's cool. If somebody says we have these awesome planners for black women entrepreneurs who work with people in different time zones, I'm going to look at that planner and be like, that's what's up. Like, yeah. even if it doesn't mm-hmm. for me, I'm absolutely going to look at it and read into it. Now, those people who made that planner excluded a whole lot of people when they decided that they were going to build this. Does this mean that white men who are entrepreneurs and travel and work with people in different time zones can't use this book? No. Right. So mm-hmm. you're not excluding them from being able to purchase. You're excluding them from feeling like they are a part of the main group that this was made for. But while you do that, you make the people who were the main group that you made it for feel overwhelmingly connected to or have an Mm -hmm. affinity for this thing. Mm -hmm. So you've overly excluded the included the people you want to include. And that right there can be so much more valuable Mm -hmm. than trying to reach everybody. That's one of the things that I end up having to talk to people about a lot in the beginning of working with me in the accelerator, because even if, you know, they don't come through the scholarship and they just, you know, they go through the accelerator on their own. Um, we do a one-on-one call and they'll tell me about their service. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's for everybody, but I'm probably going to mostly help, you know, this group, but I really want to work with everybody. And I have to kill that from like, <laughs> I have to kill that early because that trying to do everything for everybody means you're going to be nothing to nobody. You know what I mean? Yeah. You Ooh. can't be anything like, you know, the more we look at, if we look at businesses like water companies, if you walk down the aisle at a grocery store and you can see like 20 different water brands. Yep. It's just water. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't even be competition. You have water <laughs> in your house running from your faucet, right? right? Unless you live somewhere where the water is not potable and you can't use a filter system, a Brita or something like that to clean the water, then you don't even need to be buying water from the store. Yeah. Yet, 20 brands still felt like they should be competing for your attention. None of them are saying that they're for everybody, even though it's water and water is literally necessary for like 99.9% of people on this planet, right? So there's room for you and there's still going to be room for you if you decide that you really want to serve a very niche group and not the everybody's of the world. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons I love that book so much. Oh, I'll also link that down below in the show notes. And then the other question that I have is what's something that brought you joy in like the last couple of days? So when I came back to London, I came back because I wanted to be closer to my family and I have a lot of family here. And um, I had been playing in my mind over and over like what it was going to be like when I first got back and like you know, the good things and the bad things. I knew it was going to be cold, but I knew there were going to be people I could see. And at this point, I'm still on quarantine. I have like one more day left where I'm not supposed to like go out and do stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So I haven't been able to see everybody. 
But when I was at the airport, my cousin came and picked me up and like, it was literally one of the best moments I've had all Mm. year to just like, and it was so crazy because I had on my face shield and two masks and my glasses and Mm -hmm. I hadn't been in a humid environment in a while. Mm -hmm. So everything was fogged up. My glasses were fogged up (laughs) and my face shield was fogged up. So I couldn't see it. I'm on the phone with her on speaker. She's like, I'm in this section. And I'm like, I see M. I don't see L. I can't see anything. I'm doing like, like I got my head back trying to look through, but I can't see without my glasses. Right. And then when she finally, I could hear her before I could see her. And she just bust out laughing. Cause I look like a fool. I look like <laughs> Homeless COVID, not chic. It was a hot mess. It was a hot, steamy, foggy mess. But the way I needed that hug, mm-hmm. I, I'm just, like that, that yeah. kicked off, you know, 2021 for me. And it's, oh. and it's March. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Whew. Um, that is, that's beautiful. And I know what you mean about those hugs, because sometimes you just get a hug that like, just, you just melt because you didn't know how badly you needed it until you got it. So I get that. Thank you so, so much for joining me um, and sharing so many gems and not only gems, but sharing in this amazing scholarship. I think we we need it and I'm so grateful that you've done it. And um, yeah, I'm really excited because a lot of people have after our live have DM me and they're like, you know, I think I'm applying. It's like, don't tell me, go apply, go, <laughs> <laughs> oh, go my do goodness. it. Tell them to do it because I've, yes. I did something similar to this a couple years ago and I got so many DMs from women saying, what you're doing is amazing. I love this. I'm not going to apply because I don't want to take this opportunity from another woman. But like, I would love, you know, I just, I've just loved that what you're doing this. And I'm like, Go apply. Apply. what are you talking to me about? How many I had, there was a point where I had more DMs like that than I had applications. And I was like, y'all are wild. Uh, my goodness. Y'all are wild and that y'all have time to tell me these whole sob stories that, that you're in and that you love this, but you're not going to apply. I made mm. this for you apply. So yeah. Yeah. So I was telling them, I was like, no, no, no. I'm like, that's go, go apply. Like, I'm happy for you. Go apply. I'm happy you found it. Go apply, please. Um, So yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Be Well Sis podcast. For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time. Be well, sis.